This is episode 60 of the Next Year Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dara Wolf, professional speaker and performance coach. If you want to push through the challenges holding you back and finally achieve what you've always dreamed of, then you need to start listening to the Next Year Now podcast with my friend, Tom Hefner. I think we all need to have one. And I really don't care at the end of the day what your ritual is. I mean, obviously for me, it's making challah, but... I think that we need, particularly in 2018, in the stressful world that we're all living in, I think we need to have rituals in our lives. Welcome to the Next Year Now podcast with Tom Hefner. Tom believes that if you really want to thrive at work and in life, then every day, purposeful habits and practices are vital. The Next Year Now podcast will not only help you identify and integrate these habits into your daily life, but also bring you key insights and lessons from some of the most successful people in their fields. And here is your host, Tom Hefner. Hello and welcome back, my friends. In today's episode, we have a very interesting guest and topic. And that's because today we speak with Beth Riccanati, a doctor specializing in women's health and well-being. But we won't be discussing health, at least not in the, I'll say, traditional doctor sense. Instead, we're going to discuss her book, A Journey of a Thousand Hollas, and how her story of baking challah bread every Friday, like for the last 10 years, can help all of us find more happiness and well-being in our life. In our conversation, I'll be asking Beth to discuss how you can create mindfulness in your life every day be it by baking challah bread as she does or through other activities. The argument for eating a high-carb white loaf bread like challah bread every week. This is really interesting. How we can use this activity of baking to cultivate and strengthen relationships in our lives. And so much more. Today's episode is sponsored by Tom Hefner Enterprises Innovation Training. If you're looking for the fastest the most effective way to improve your organization's ability to innovate, to think creatively, or even just to collaborate, then go to tomhefner.com work. You can read all about the innovation training and consulting work that I do. Through my training, I can teach you or your organization how to create transformational ideas and concepts. This is my superpower. This is what I do well. It's my jam. I love it. It's my passion. It's how I help to take management consulting executives from zero to hero in just two days. And before working with me, they didn't know what innovation was. They didn't know how or when to use the tools of innovation. But by the end of our two days, they were competent and confident in using these methods. And they had a fun time doing it. It's also why the CNO, the chief naval officer of the U.S. Navy, trusted me to help build and develop one of the premier innovation programs for the U.S. Navy. I promise, whether you're an individual that just wants to learn how to think creatively or an organization that wants to boost its innovation chops, I can help you get there. Just head over to tomhefner.com work and connect with me. Beth Riccanati, MD, author of the new release, Braided, A Journey of a Thousand Hollows, has built her career around bringing wellness into women's everyday lives, especially busy moms juggling life and children, which I know my wife appreciates. Beth received her undergraduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania, shout out for my alma mater, and her MD from Case Western Reserve University. She completed her internal medicine residency at Columbia Presbyterian in NYC. 
She spent 10 years in practice at the Columbia Presbyterian's Women Health Center, the Cleveland Clinic Center for Women's Health, and the Cleveland Clinic's Wellness Institute. In addition to the frequent online writing that she does now, Beth has been a contributor for television, print, and online media, and has published medical articles in peer-reviewed journals. She lives in the Los Angeles area with her family and one holla-loving dog. Beth, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Look, Beth, I'm excited about our conversation today, in part because when I first saw your book, I thought, wow, like this is... This is really indifferent from what I see, usually. <laughs> you know, someone talking about baking challah and how that could be the key to finding our own happiness. Usually I'm talking to a lot of positive psych people, so I'm really excited about that. But, you know, uh, by your count, you've been cooking challah every Friday for the last 10 years, give or take, yep. making over a 1,000 challahs. So I got to ask you, like, what led you to make this such an important and, like, regular part of your life for such a long period? I love that question because it gets at the heart of the book. As you had mentioned in the intro, I'm a physician and I'm a mom. And about 10 years ago, when the kids were little, I was so overwhelmed and stressed out and I was misguided. I had thought I had to do it all and do it all at once and do it well. That's a tall order for anybody. (laughs) I wasn't succeeding in that. And I was really lucky that at about that time, a friend of mine and I were talking, it was the fall, it was right before the Jewish New Year, and my friend Abby said to me, you should make challah, <laughs> which was a laughable suggestion, because I didn't <laughs> do anything at the time, except I was really good at those brownies that come in a box, you know, the kind where you add an egg and some oil and water, yeah, I, I could do that, but that was about it, but Abby said I could do this, and I don't know, there was something about it that resonated with me, and so I tried it, and I don't know if you've ever baked bread, but the smell in your house, it's like magic. And our house became a home that day, and I was completely hooked. And yes, I've now been making challah ever since. I love that. My wife cooks. uh, She doesn't do as much as uh, she used to, in part because we have three young kids, so we're probably about 10 years behind you. (laughs) It gets easier in some ways. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, I, I always loved the smell when she would make bread. So I could definitely dig that. And I, I know I've just, uh, in, ahead of this interview, I, I told her, I said, hey, you have to read this, uh, this book. You're going to love it. This is right up your alley. So she's going to be digging it. Oh, good. My wife, she loves to read. She loves to bake. But she also likes to tease me about washing dishes. <laughs> so I'm actually one of these like weird people, guys that loves doing dishes. And I think in part because for me, it's a time, it's a chance to to meditate a bit, if that sounds a little bit weird, right? Like I just find myself easily slipping into this meditative like space when I'm doing the dishes. So I'm always like, no, no, I'll do the dishes. It's okay, honey. And you have a similar kind of related feeling where you say that baking challah each week is an exercise in mindfulness. How did you create mindfulness in this activity? And what does that mean to you? What I realized after the fact, and it's, that's not why I started this activity, but what I realized after doing it for a while was that it had become this very meditative behavior, if you will, because there I am, picture at the kitchen counter, six ingredients in a bowl. I don't do this in a KitchenAid or any kind of kitchen, you know, mixer. Mm-hmm. It's by hand. And when you're just there and there's no phone and there's no email and there are no toys to pick up, your hands are just in a bowl. It's incredible how focused and present I became. And then 
as I went through the recipe and it was time to knead the dough, that's a really great opportunity to like washing dishes, to mm-hmm. be in meditative space because you're just doing a repetitive behavior for a few minutes and you're just there. Mm-hmm. It was really incredible. I didn't I didn't set out this way as you know as I said, but but once I realized it, it's part of the reason why I come back to it every week. I love having this meaningful ritual that anchors me in time and space and in part it's because of that activity of just almost it, it's my meditation of just mm-hmm. being in the dough. Well, I think there's something to, like you said, the key word there, like rituals, right? And there's there's something that with rituals that can anchor yeah. us to these really just, I don't know how to describe it, but these activities that just allow us to be present, to allow us to enjoy, to enjoy life. I have a friend that studies, is really big on rituals, and I never quite understood it until I found my own ritual <laughs> in life. Yeah, I think we all need to have one. And I really don't care at the end of the day what your ritual is. I mean, obviously for me, it's making challah, but... I think that we need, particularly in 2018, in this stressful world that we're all living in, I think we need to have rituals in our lives. And it can be anything. My mom's a gardener, and you know, I, I just met a salsa dancer. I mean, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you do, but that you do something to counterbalance all of this. Well, to that point, not all of us love to bake. I know, I know. That's kind of crazy. It's hard to believe. Who doesn't love the yummy goodness of bread and cake and cookies? But for those of us that do have different hobbies or or passions in our life, what have you learned about or through this mindfulness and baking that we can use to help us to cultivate mindfulness in these other activities? I think just doing anything with intention is fantastic. So I've been doing this, as, as we said earlier, for about 10 years, but I was about five years ago that I learned that before I actually make the bread is an opportunity to stop and to think about why. Like why am I doing this and in whose merit? It's a time to, to say a little blessing, if you will, and think about you know, who am I going to honor this week? And I think we can bring that into any activity that we do that has meaning for us. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I was just on uh, doing an interview with uh, Michael Giannoulis and we were talking about finding your why and how yeah. important that is, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm two months in, uh, I wanted to lose 20 pounds and, and kind of get back in shape. And so I'm two months into that right now. I'm, I'm down 16 pounds and, and getting wow. fit again. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And for me, it wasn't enough to just say, oh, I want to get fit. Like I had to really find my why. I had to stress test my why. And for me, that was very much around like, well, look, when I'm fit and healthy, I'm outside more. And when I'm outside more, I'm, I'm you know, playing with my kids. I'm getting out in the kind of nature and I'm happier when I'm doing that. And when I'm happier, I'm showing up better as a husband, as a, as a father. And like that, why that right there was strong for me. And I have to, even though that's a strong why, I, I'll still find myself setting that intention in the morning before I get up or in the evening before I go to bed or before I'm getting ready to make a meal or to work out to give myself that added motivation. That's fantastic. It's so important to understand the sort of deeper reason for our behavior. And then it makes it more sustainable, right? Like you've Mm -hmm. been able to for two months to continue this journey because you have a sustainable reason. And it was similar for me in terms of making challah. Well, here's what I find interesting about you and your background, among other things. You're a very interesting person, but like you're a physician by training, so you help people to get well. You help people to stay 
healthy. So one of the things I'm curious to learn about, and I know we all are, is how can we square away this idea of eating, you know, somebody who's on a diet right now, right, or, on, or, or eating better and, and eating better nutrition, how can we square away the idea of eating this you know, white loaf bread, very tasty, every week with healthy eating? Oh, I love that question. That's <laughs> like, put your put your physician's hat on, and like, what's your argument for baking this white loaf every week? It's it's really important, and I talk about this a lot with my patients, and I talk about this in my personal life with you know family and friends. First of all, for me, you know, challah is not just physical bread. There, there's a lot more sort of spiritual and other things going on. But wearing my physician's hat and talking about white bread, you know, when I make this bread once a week, I'm not eating the whole loaf. And, and when I'm talking to my patients and I'm talking about whatever, we're de- whatever issue we're dealing with with them, it's a similar concept. And that is that the key, I think, in general is moderation. And moderation in everything that we do. So for challah, for me, for the white flour, I'm not eating the whole loaf. I'm maybe having a piece or a couple pieces, but mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. <laughs> and I love that reminder because I forget. I get really black and white sometimes, and, and I forget. And this is a great opportunity to be reminded that it's okay to have a piece of bread. The world's not going to stop spinning. <laughs> it's okay. But I do think we forget that. And I tried. I really tried. Wearing that doctor hat, I thought, oh, my God, I cannot be making white bread. I'm telling all my patients to eat less processed and packaged foods. I'm telling them to eat more whole grains and the Mediterranean diet and all these things. And <laughs> so let's try whole wheat flour. And I did, but I didn't understand that. I'm not really a baker beyond this, and I didn't understand how to modify the recipe, and I didn't choose a different recipe. And there's fabulous, by the way, whole wheat flour challah, and there's fabulous gluten-free challah, and there's fa- you know there are many different mm-hmm. types of challah. But I just made the mistake of taking my the, you know this recipe, the one that's in the book, and trying to do it with whole wheat, and it was actually awful. And oh, was- no. Yeah, it was terrible. And I went back to the white flour and it was a great reminder that, you know, it's okay, Beth. Everything in moderation in general is not a bad way to live. And that lesson carries me through the whole week until I get to make it again and get reminded again because I sometimes forget. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, are, are there different ways for, for us to make this bread with like different flavors, different techniques, oh, absolutely. or maybe even like you said, like maybe even, you know, other ways to make it, uh, you know, more healthy, even if you oh, are absolutely. using white bread, you know, so white. all of the above, you can make gluten-free challah, you can make vegan challah, you can make whole wheat challah, spelt flour. I mean, you can change up all of, all of that. And then in addition, you can then start to play with the flavors. And, and while I write in the book about how I'm pretty wedded to plain challah, I've actually learned since the book was released in September, I've learned that maybe I was a little wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> all these great people who make the most yummy, fun, different flavored challah. As deep as your imagination is, you can make challah. I mean, at Halloween, I, people were making pumpkin challah. I just found out about a an olive and zatar challah. That sounds really Ooh, yummy to that me. That does sound pretty yummy. <laughs> right. um, or and obviously, there's the you know chocolate chip and raisin and apples and honey and all of that. So there's lots of ways to get creative with it. And that's really fun too, quite frankly. (laughs) Well, look, I want to pivot here and talk about something different. Beth, one of the things that we know from the the psychology literature and and, and research on well-being and happiness is that more than anything, more than almost any other factor, happiness and well-being, it comes down to other people. In the words of my former professor, 
Chris Peterson, other people matter. Relationships matter. How has this, this weekly ritual helped to cultivate and strengthen relationships in your life? Oh, I love that. I think you're spot on. We need, we need community in our lives. And we need it for so many reasons, not the least of which wearing my doctor hat because it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned through making Hala is that this behavior, this, this weekly ritual, it not only builds community, but it sustains community. So what I mean by that is, you know, I, I first started making Hala when we were living in Cleveland in Ohio, and it was just me, myself, and I at the kitchen counter. But when we moved to Los Angeles and the kids were a little bit older and they started inviting their friends for Friday night dinner, their friends loved the challah and they wanted their moms to make the challah. And before <laughs> I knew it, I was making challah with other women. And I do that now, not every week, but most weeks. I make challah with other women, most of whom I know, but quite frankly, not all. I, I'm, two weeks ago, I was up in San Francisco doing some book-related activities and making challah with 25 women I'd never met. And <laughs> it's really wonderful because you you come together and you, and you share over the kitchen counter and you share stories and, and you foster this and build this this community that is so healthy. And it also sustains community, this activity. So what do I mean by that? I'm making challah on Fridays here in L.A. And I know women who, you know, Meredith is making it in New York, and Allegra is making it in London, and Miriam is making it in Tel Aviv, and all over the world, every Friday, and this has been done for thousands of years, we're making challah. And I find that incredible. And particularly now in this world that is, well, it sometimes feels even more stressful. It really feels good that maybe we're not so disconnected. When I think about these women all around the world that I know, who are doing the same thing at the same time for the same reason. I find that really important because we need we need that sense of community. And I not only feel better for it, but I think those who are with me on this journey feel better for it too. Well, it helps you to feel like part of something bigger than yourself. Right? Right. You don't have to be like a spiritual person to, to tap into that. Like you said, you know that all of your friends, all of the people around the world that are doing it on Fridays, like, I mean, that that's tapping into something bigger than yourself. Uh, and that's something that's to be human. Which I love. Uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic. And and so, it again, it helps to keep it sustainable. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to be a part of that. Look, before I move on to the last part of the show, what else from the book would you like us to know? Something I haven't asked about. You're like, hey, look, this is also something important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I really think it's it's important to to realize that. So when you read the book, you'll be able to make all it when you're done. I mean, there's definitely that piece of it, but there's so much more there, and it really it really boils down to living more with intention and finding your own your own way to have a meaningful ritual, because I think we need that for our health and well being. Could put a better pin on that one. All right, it's time for my favorite part of the show. This is where we talk about what I think is one of the very best habits that we can adopt today. And Beth, that is the habit of reading. I want you to think, yes, yes, right? Like everybody loves this part. It's my favorite. (laughs) I I want you to think about, you know, the books that you've really enjoyed over the years or books that have moved you deeply. What are the two or three books that stand out for you? You know, I struggle with this question so much because I read so much. And (laughs) let me see if you'll let me do this. Can I talk a little bit about authors as opposed to books? Yeah, definitely. So. Virginia Woolf, I adore, and Elizabeth Gilbert, I adore, and Barbara Kingsolver's work, I adore. 
currently, you know, in, in a more contemporary, um, some of the, the work of Danny Shapiro, who writes memoir. Mm-hmm. I haven't read her fiction. I've only read her memoir. The way that these women tell a story, the language that they use, it's just beautiful. Mm. I don't want to stop reading. <laughs> That's the definition of a good book right there. Yes, it's my favorite activity, next to making challah. <laughs> next to making challah. Uh, okay, cool. Well, look, final question. What's next for you that you're really excited about? Now, I know you have, you're probably knee-deep in the, in the book tour, but if we look past that, wh- what are you looking to next? Well, yes, first of all, I am knee-deep in the book tour, <laughs> which is so much fun. Having never done anything like this in my life, it's really fun. And I am working both in the food as medicine space and in continuing to tell stories and talk about, about the different journeys that we're on. Mm. You know what you should do? You should have some, some hala baking workshops and classes for people to come together and build community within wherever you go. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And in fact, I've started to do a little bit of that and it's super cool when you get a group of people together making dough and sharing stories, it's really powerful. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, and I think I might do more of it. So thank you for the added encouragement. Yes, and if you're if you're ever close to us doing that or or, or otherwise, uh, let me know because my wife would love to go. Yay! That's great. <laughs> thank you. Well, look, Beth, this has been a a fantastic interview. Really, really cool. I love, love, love this book. Thank you for coming on and sharing your goodness. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's I who thank you for this opportunity. This is a reminder that today's episode was sponsored by Tom Hefner Enterprises Innovation Training. You can connect with Beth online through her website, housecallsforwellness.com, and on Instagram with the handle at housecallsforwellness. All the links and resources Beth and I discuss can be found at the page created just for this episode. You'll find it all at nextyearnowpodcast.com slash six zero. And finally, just a reminder... If you love the show and enjoy learning from our guests each week, please consider giving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us stay relevant and findable by listeners like you. That's it for today. I'll see you next time.